0: Our Christmas Advent series, as you know, ended last week. And uh, each week, there were two or three people that were preaching. And someone heard about me speaking today, and they said, are you going to have somebody with you? And I thought about maybe bringing a friend with me, but then I thought, <laughs> no, he likes to get me in trouble, so maybe another time. Sorry about that if you would rather hear him. <laughs> Do you know what you were doing 20 years ago? Think about that for a second. Do you remember Y2K? If you're 20 or younger, you really didn't miss anything. You missed a lot of hysteria. The world was in a panic because of this havoc that they believed would take place, and I even kind of wondered about that myself. We were supposed to do, at the end of the year, an all-nighter, and we decided having a hundred kids out somewhere when you know, all of that broke loose would be a bad idea. You know, worldwide, over $300 billion, I said billion, $300 billion was spent on remediation for that. Well, as most of you know, nothing big really happened. Maybe it was because of all the work that was done, but there really wasn't much that took place. Around that time, I was serving as a youth pastor and one day as i spoke to my youth i said something that i'd said unfortunately many times i don't pray like i should well that time i couldn't get that thought out of my mind and i thought to myself when am i going to do something about that You know, there was a failure more important than Y2K that was going on. There was a failure in my prayer life. There was a failure in my relationship with Jesus Christ. At that time, I made a conscious decision that I was going to give God first place in my schedule, in my prayer life. And I can say today that God has made a dramatic difference in who I am as a person and my life and ministry. About two years later, I decided decided to start a journal of prayer answers. And so each day I'd take that out, and as I would think about something that God had answered, I would write that in the journal quickly, I realized that I was seeing a lot of answers to prayer. I had no idea the answers to prayer that God was providing. In November this year, I recorded the 40,000th answer to prayer in that journal. To God be the glory. I can't believe I missed something so significant that God wanted to do in my life. Today, in this message, I'd like to introduce you to someone I have come to appreciate greatly. Someone who was alive around the time of Jesus' birth. Someone who became known right after his birth. Someone you may not know a lot about. Maybe you do. But first of all, let's get a little background. When Jesus was born, very few in Israel recognized him as the Messiah. It was not because people weren't watching, because at that time, the desire to see the Messiah was at a fever pitch. Daniel, in his prophecy, chapter 9, had virtually set the date for his coming. But the people, as you know, were looking for a mighty political and military leader who would be a conquering king to rescue them from Rome. Instead, as we know, the Messiah was born to a poor family the only ones in israel who did recognize christ at his birth were humble ordinary people are there a lot of are a lot of ordinary people humble people here today i believe so you know you might think of the magi the magi were rich and they were influential they were powerful but they were foreigners They were Gentiles, and they didn't come on the scene for a couple of years, despite what your nativity set may show you. The only Israelites who understood that Jesus was the Messiah at his birth were Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, Simeon, and Anna. Today, we're going to focus in on one of those nobodies that nobody knew and that even we don't know too much about, the last witness of the Messiah's first advent in Luke 2, 36. Please turn there. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the rack in front of you, and we're going to be looking at page 910. And by the way, if you need a Bible, a modern translation of the Bible, take that with you. That's our gift to you. We'll look at verse 36 of Luke 2. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's the only scriptural content that we have about this woman named Anna. Notice in verse 36 that it says, there was also a prophetess. What was taking place at this time that this is referring to? Well, back up to verses 22 to 24, and you'll see the baby Jesus was being presented to the Lord at the temple by his parents, Mary and Joseph. After his birth, initially, Mary and Joseph had stayed in Bethlehem where Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day as required by the law of Moses. Then, after the completion of 40 days of purification, also dictated by the law, they made the trip to Jerusalem to the temple, a distance of about five miles. In verses 25 to 35, they met Simeon, that first of the last two witnesses, a righteous and devout man, as the scripture says, who, when he saw Jesus, praise God and boldly proclaimed my eyes have seen your salvation now let's unpack these three verses about Anna what we'll see today should remind us that there is no scripture that is unimportant it's all the inspired word of God her name Anna in Hebrew Is identical to Hannah you remember her the mother of Samuel the priest prophet that name means grace an appropriate name for a godly dignified woman such as her Anna's character bears striking similarities to her counterpart Hannah remember Hannah presented Samuel at the temple for God's service for his life. And that was out of gratitude for God answering her prayer for a son. Anna gave herself to the Lord for his service in the temple. Also notice that Luke refers to her as a prophetess. In the New Testament, Luke alone used that term to describe someone We could see it also in Acts chapter 21, where he referred to the daughters of Philip as prophetesses. Throughout the Old Testament, occasionally we see that, but it's actually a rare way that that is describing someone. Luke was not suggesting that Anna predicted the future or was a fortune teller. There was also no, not necessarily, any indication that she received special revelation from God she was called a prophetess because of her practice of declaring God's Word Anna likely had spent her lifetime reciting God's Word memorizing God's Word and sharing God's Word notice also that she was a daughter of phenuel of the tribe of Asher You remember, Asher was the eighth son of Jacob, an offspring of Zilpah, Leah's maid, and Jacob's concubine. The tribe that descended from Asher belonged to the apostate northern kingdom of Israel. Anna's descent from that tribe suggested that some of the believing members in her family had somehow gotten out of that northern kingdom and down to Jerusalem. It's truly the grace of God that she was a believer. And you know, isn't it true for all of us that but by the grace of God, we're a follower of Christ? Some of you may say, hey, I'm the first one in my family that's a believer. We're all in Christ by the grace of God. She was a widow. Notice that. She'd been a wife for seven years, and then she was a widow. Being a widow in that society was very difficult. Usually, it involved poverty for life. She would have lived on charity or supported herself out of her family inheritance. In the Old and New Testament, there are special instructions for the care of widows. I am so thankful that our church practices those principles and is very, are very interested in care for the widows in our church. Well, Anna was also well along in years. You see that? A literal translation of the text is, she was very old in her many days. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? I know some younger kids probably look at me and would say, yeah, he's very old in his many days. According to the CSB, which a lot of you have in your hands, she'd been a widow for 84 years. Since marriage usually took place around the age of 14 and she was married for seven years, she would have potentially been 105 years old. Now let's put that in a little bit of context in the day that she lived the average life expectancy was 21 because of the high infant mortality rate. If someone made it to the age of 10, they might expect to reach 45. Despite age, one is never too old to serve, even in dramatic fashion, like Anna did. God's grace was certainly evident in her age. And think about it, her greatest contribution came near the end of her life. Also, Luke emphatically states here, she did not leave the temple. Evidently, she lived on the temple grounds. Perhaps as a result of her lifetime commitment to God and her faithful service, she was given a place to live there in the temple area. Anna would have been around during Herod's overthrow of Jerusalem. From her place on the temple ground, she would have observed as Herod's men were rebuilding the dilapidated temple. She was close to the copies of the word of God. You know, Anna had been around the temple almost as long as Pastor David Griffin has been here at FBG. (laughs) A long time. He gave me permission to say that, by the way. But look now at the next thing that's mentioned. She was a servant, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. No failure, no Y2K failure was there for Anna. You know, fasting and prayer are not typically considered ways to actively serve God, unfortunately. But their mention here reminds us of the great importance our church has and our church needs people who fast and pray for the ministry here. Of FBG. We need God's power on our lives. We need God's power on this ministry. Both Anna and Hannah were characterized by their practice of fasting and prayer. As you think about the description so far of Anna, what we see about her is a life of self-denial Yet her lifestyle evidently invigorated her. Her fasting and prayer, I believe, produced an active, articulate, alert, spiritually savvy, and unselfish older woman. Anna wasn't a nine-to-five Christian or a Sunday-only follower of the Lord. She literally served him, as the text says, night and day think about her fasting. She knew that fasting results, has results like we see in Queen Esther in her book chapter 4 or in Daniel chapter 1 of his book. By the time Jesus arrived and was in his ministry, he spoke of fasting on the sermon, at the Sermon on the Mount some 33 years later and at that time He assumed that his disciples would fast because he said, Whenever you fast, or when you fast. Luke also pointed out that the early church fathers often fasted when seeking God's will for leadership in the church. One example is Acts 13. You know, it seems that fasting is a lost practice among many Christians today it was for me I knew very little about it until some years ago as I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount I noticed what Jesus said about that and so I began to do a study about that and really came to the conviction that it needed to be something that was a part of my life and a great book that I read Hunger for God by John Piper talks a lot about the reason for that and what it's all about. If you've not currently considered that, I encourage you to, in a new year, think about it. Obviously, as your health would allow. Well, think about prayer in the life of Anna. What in the world did she pray about? You know, is it possible that we could know? I think so. Many of the things that Simeon addressed... For instance, in verse 25 of chapter 2, the consolation of Israel. What's that all about? Well, throughout their history, you know that the people of Israel had suffered greatly, both for their own sin and because of the oppression of others. Their land was frequently overrun by foreign powers because of their strategic place in the world. They were kind of the connection point between Africa and Asia and Europe. And, of course, they were in Egypt in exile, and they they went through all the difficulties faced in that time. In short, they were a desperate people in need of consolation and comfort, the kind of permanent help that only the son of David under the power of the Holy Spirit could bring to them. Anna must have believed the promises in the Old Testament, and she surely prayed about that matter regularly. Dr. John MacArthur said this about her in his book, Twelve Extraordinary Women. Her hope, like Eve's, was for the seed who would crush the serpent's head, Her longing, like Sarah's, was for the seed of Abraham, who would bless all the nations of the world. She was praying that God would soon send the promised Deliverer, the Messiah. Anna was perhaps one of the most devout prayer warriors we meet anywhere in Scripture Few come to mind who prayed diligently and faithfully for 60 years. You know, we need more prayer warriors like that today here at FBG and in the cause of Christ. In Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus promised that God rewards those who fast and give and pray in secret, he certainly did that for Anna. Think about the blessing in her life at the conclusion of 60 years of praying. And you know, that promise should encourage and motivate us today. Anna is a powerful example of aging with dignity, she was positive without bitterness about her condition, being a widow, and full of hope. Perhaps, just perhaps, she was the model of the righteous church widow that the Apostle Paul described in 1 Timothy. Notice what the passage says next. At that very moment, at that exact time in history, In the sovereignty of God, right after Simeon had witnessed about Jesus, Anna encountered Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. And she was that final witness. Isn't it true that God is never ahead of schedule? He's never behind schedule. He's always right on time. And here we see it. Next. Anna came up and began to thank God. What did she thank God about? We can only imagine. We don't know exactly, but two thoughts come to my mind. She probably thanked him for providing a redeemer, one who she was looking at with her very own eyes, and also for answering think of the answered prayer that she had seen that she had witnessed and you know answered prayer produces thankfulness in us I've seen that as I've kept that prayer answer journal how just wants to produce in me a thankfulness to God for what he's doing look at verse 38 and she also began to speak about him to all Perhaps Anna had heard the reports of the shepherds. You know, Bethlehem was only five miles away. Maybe she'd heard that. She probably knew Simeon and had heard of his expectation and probably came in as he was sharing his witness. But here in verse 38, the verb tense signifies continuous speaking. It literally means that Anna continually spoke of him. She could not stop talking about Jesus. And this, men and women, is her enduring legacy today. What a powerful thing to be known for. She's like the shepherds who immediately spread the good news And you know, good news is meant to be shared, isn't it? And Anna certainly did that. The Redeemer had come. Prophecies were being fulfilled, and Anna was blessed to have a front row seat. Dr. MacArthur also said this. She was blessed by God to be one of a handful of key witnesses who knew and understood the significance of Jesus' birth, she became one of the first and most enduring witnesses to Christ. During his earthly ministry, Christ repeatedly emphasized the importance of taking the gospel, the importance of sharing about him. And a few years ago, I met a woman, a widow, in our church in Indiana who was in her 90s. Her name is Helen Snodgrass, kind of an easy name to remember. She was a new member at our church, and a short time later, her family moved her into a care facility because her health was really declining. Once when I visited Helen, she told me that God had recently burdened her to be a witness of her faith to the other residents in that assisted living facility. One day when I visited her, she told me about sharing the gospel with one of the ladies she had met and how that lady had trusted Christ one week before she passed away. She also shared about another resident, a woman who trusted Christ after her witness. I will never forget that sweet lady with a burden like Anna to share about Jesus to those around her. Since those occasions that I talked about, Helen has gone on to be with the Lord. But her legacy continues. Her family recently sent money from her estate to support missionaries in Papua New Guinea. I got a letter from them this week as I was putting this together, and immediately it was like, that's a story I need to tell about Helen. What became of Anna after her encounter with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus is not known, but her extraordinary legacy lives in the pages of scripture. What about you and me? What will our legacy be? In a few days We'll be in a new year. There's no Y2K scare going on right now. I'm thankful for that. But there's a lot of other scary things in the world out there, aren't there? But, you know, we're also going to step into a new decade. That that sounds kind of important, doesn't it? 2020, wow, a new decade. What are we going to do when it comes to our relationship with Christ? How's your prayer life? today. Maybe you can identify with me 20 years ago when I was, you know, I didn't have a priority on that. How about our witness for Christ talking to others about Christ? I want to encourage you today as these next two days we have before the new year, the new decade, to take a good look at those areas that Anna nailed it. She had nailed that. And I want to encourage you one of the ways is in the area of prayer how about this year this decade dads and moms leading our family to pray together regularly husbands leading our wives to pray together each day this year kids maybe your your family's not praying you could say hey let's pray together that'd be an awesome thing ministry leaders here at fbg i hope that every meeting that you have, prayer will be a vital part of that. Not just, oh yeah, we need to have a prayer here, but that prayer will totally saturate that. You know, we are blessed to have on the front of our worship center a prayer chapel that's open 24-7. When I came here and I saw that, I was just blown away that we have that resource here. You know, there are a lot of times during the week when it's vacant. Wouldn't it be awesome to fill that up with people praying, praying for this church, praying for the people here that have needs? Maybe you want to explore that a little bit after the service. Gary Hamilton will be back at the table there, and you can find out when that's available and sign up for that. Or maybe you could be here for prayer at one of the meetings that Pastor Kevin schedules and at those family meetings and at those times when we rally for prayer. Or maybe on Wednesday night at 5 o'clock you could join us in the prayer chapel for prayer. Or you could sign up for our prayer update. You can find my email address on the website and we'd love to get you on that so you know when there's a big prayer request that's needed. Imagine What could happen if we all decided to make prayer a focus a priority in the year ahead? It's amazing to think about what this ministry could see, what we could see experience and experience in Williamson County. What about speaking to others about Jesus? Have you ever written out your testimony? If not, I want to encourage you to do that. To have that testimony ready. And then pray for God to give you an opportunity to be able to share that. Once a month, we have a ministry here that is called the Billy Graham Call Center. And each time Dr. Graham has a message on the air, there's a phone number on there and people can call in. And so once a month, we have some volunteers here that staff that. Yesterday was such a day. They get the chance to share with people who are calling in because they want answers. What a blessing to be able to share the gospel. I got to hear, I got to see that yesterday. You might say, hey, that's something I'd like to do. I want to share my faith in that way. And afterwards, there's an opportunity at the back where some folks from the call center ministry could sign you up. Years ago, I became really impressed to be better prepared to share the gospel. And so I did some study, took some training, and later I became burdened to be ready, even if I only had just one minute to share. And so I prepared something I call the gospel in one minute. Here's what it's like. I'd like to tell you about the gospel. The word gospel means good news the good news is that the one and only God who's holy made us in his image to know him and have a relationship with him but we broke God's law and the Bible says that's sin that separates us from God in his great love for us God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ Jesus lived his life perfect in thought word and deed and died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin on that cross Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God and paid the sin debt then he supernaturally rose from the dead And by that, demonstrated that God accepted his sacrifice. He now calls on us to repent and place our trust entirely in Christ for forgiveness of sin and salvation. When we repent, we receive by grace new life, an eternal life with God. If you're here today and you've never had that time in your life, I encourage you to do that today before you leave. If you're a believer, a follower of Christ, all of us here today that know Christ, let's take a good look at our prayer life, our relationship with God. Let's see what God wants us in a new year, a new decade to be involved in. And let's be ready to share our faith. Ready to share when those opportunities come. You see, when we're ready, it's amazing when God provides opportunities for us to share.